As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to MLS Assist. My name is Joe Lowry, and I'm joined by a woman whose MLS team qualified for the playoffs this weekend. Her name is Jordan Angeli. Hello, Jordan. Hey, Joe. I know, I sense a little ode there. Yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of an ode there, and if you can't tell. This is hard, and it's going to be hard and emotional. And uh, I think you hear it in both of our voices. Um, so I'm just going to talk for a second and, uh, just say that ode is to Daryl from the total, total, I can't even talk. That ode is to Daryl from the total soccer show. And if you are in the soccer space, you, um, might've heard the news yesterday about, um, the prognosis of, Daryl's cancer and, um, just the doctors don't, can't do anything else. And so, uh, Joe opened up with a little bit of an ode to Daryl's intro for TSS. And, um, yeah, we're just, we're pretty heartbroken. I think as a soccer community, as two people who have been really influenced by Daryl and Taylor and their belief in us. And their commitment to us and their ability to help us through a lot of things. So um, we're just just working through it, I think, is the right way to say it, Joe. Yep. Yeah. And thank you for talking for a minute there while I gained a little bit of composure. Yeah. No, I am just so thankful uh, mm. to Daryl and Taylor for all that they've done for, for us and for this show. I mean, Daryl was and is one of the original producers of the show and taking time out of his busy schedule to help us out. Um, I'm so thankful. And yeah. I know you've had the pleasure to meet him, Jordan, and that's an incredible yeah. thing. And I'm just overwhelmed with thankfulness and seeing seeing Daryl's ability to impact so many different lives mm -hmm. through how he's lived and through how he's always carried himself is incredible. And yeah. it's made me sob into an open mic. So that's that's pretty cool. Honestly, that is pretty cool. Yeah. 
he's an amazing human. And um, we know if we know anything about him and how he's fought so far, he's going to continue to live his life the best way that he can, um, even even if it is the most challenging of days. So, Daryl, we just want to say we love you. And um, yeah, if everybody can just send their good uh, wishes and prayers to to Daryl as he's fighting right now. Absolutely. It's hard. Um, we're going to talk soccer, um, which I think is is fitting and is is a good thing because I mm-hmm. wouldn't be I wouldn't be doing this without Daryl and without Taylor. So I think that's an, an appropriate way to move forward on the show. And I will listeners, I will get it together um, in time. <laughs> it won't hopefully mm-hmm. be too much longer. Um, so today we've got a nice rundown of, of things across Major League Soccer. It's good to be back with you, Jordan, first of all. Um, I know. It's good to see you. We texted a little bit about that. Um, A couple weeks ago, we had Tom on the show as your voice healed and recovered from the 18 bajillion soccer games you've been calling. (laughs) And then last week, I talked with Stu Holden. Um, He was gracious enough to come on the show. And we talked about all things Major League Soccer, taking a little bit more of a big picture approach. And Stu was great. Great guest. um, Super generous with his time. Um, So I'm thankful for him. Uh, But it's fun to be back and and chat with you. So I'm grateful to be able to do that. so we're going to be going in a lot of different ways around the league, as we often do, starting with an individual scouting report. So Ooh. I don't know if listeners have heard of a, a gentleman named Caden Clark, because there's been no buzz about him at all no, over the zero. last week or so. Zero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no no buzz, no hype, <laughs> no no irrational thought about him making the 2022 World Cup roster for the United States Men's oh, National Team. I haven't team. heard that one. I, I haven't either, Jordan, to be honest oh. with you, but I'm just assuming that somewhere on the Twitterverse it has happened. It's there. Okay. It's got to be there, right? You know, like someone with the Twitter handle, Chad, USMNT, 2022 World Cup champions has tweeted that somewhere. It just has to have happened. <laughs> We're going to talk about Caden Clark. We've both watched some film, some footage of him and his his three, yes, three appearances. It's not a lot. Three appearances for the New York Red Bulls. Uh, he scored two goals. Let's talk about him. Jordan, when you watch film of Caden Clark... What have you noticed about his game? Because there's been a lot talked, a lot of hype, a lot of all this stuff, but there's been almost no analysis of what he actually does on the field. So I want us to change that, starting right. with you and what you've noticed from his game. I want to preface this just with saying I haven't got a chance to watch him for long periods of time, right? The A full appearance in a match. I've gotten to see bits and pieces here and there. But the thing that stands out to me right away, Joe, is... He is very spatially aware. Yeah. I think that's first and foremost the thing that is top on my list. Because the thing you want to do as a teammate and as a soccer player is the more space you can create for yourself or for people that you're playing the ball to, then you're going to give yourself or that person a better chance of doing what they can do, which is hopefully complete the next pass or move into space to dribble or to get a shot off. I was very impressed and I have been very impressed with Caden Clark and his ability to see where a defender is pressuring him from and to take his first touch with the right intention into the correct space. Now I do, I do feel like he gives the ball away a lot, which as a, a creative player, you have a little bit more freedom with that and he's young, right? But it's not, it's never, it's not usually his first touch that gives the ball away. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. 
Yeah. So I think that's the first thing I, and to have that spatial awareness of knowing the right seam to play the ball into the right first touch to set you up. So then you can do whatever you want to do, whether it's score a worldie from outside the box against a uh, TFC, I believe. Right. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Or, or send a through ball. Like he, he has that spatial awareness, which I think is first and foremost, like you it's, that is a very hard thing to teach. And if you've seen any footage of Caden Clark bouncing around, probably on Twitter or on major league soccer highlights or anything like that, You've seen his goals. You've seen mm-hmm. probably in particular that goal you just described against Toronto where he hits it from outside of the box with his left foot, which is right. ridiculous, first of all, because he's not left-footed or he's not <laughs> left-foot dominant at least. Right. But you don't get that goal. You don't get that goal without him him getting in that pocket of space, checking his shoulder one, two, three, four times, mm-hmm. seeing where the defense is around him, getting an accurate picture of what he's going up against. And then receiving the ball in that space, knowing exactly what's happening around him, taking a purposeful, intentional touch. I love how you put that, Jordan. Mm-hmm. Taking that that intent behind his touch into space, getting on his left foot for a shot. Outside the box, are you going to score that every time? No. And he took one again this past weekend against Orlando City. He didn't score it, although it wasn't, right. wasn't too far off. But the idea there is good of looking and getting in space, preserving that space, because the more space you have, the more wiggle room you give yourself, right? Mm-hmm. If I have half a yard of space, man, my next touch better be perfect. If right. I have three yards of space, I can afford to make a little mistake because I'm not going to be perfect, right? My touch isn't always going to be perfect. So the more space you can give yourself to contribute to your your teammates in the attack and contribute to your team, the better off you're going to be. And Caden Clark absolutely does that very, very well, even in limited minutes that we've seen him at the pro level so far. Yeah. That's the biggest thing for me that stands out. And I also think that he's really willing to put in the hard defensive work, which allows him to pick balls off and jump into the attack quickly and, and sets himself up in that way as well. In my notes, I have willing presser, right? Yeah. He's he's willing to press. And I also noticed this against Orlando on Sunday in the Red Bulls 1-1 draw with Orlando City. He's also willing to track back. He doesn't mm-hmm. just press forward. The Red Bulls are pressing right now, although they're not pressing super high up the field under Bradley Carnell. They're more in a in a mid to high block and pressing on certain cues. They're not going all out all the time. Mm-hmm. But Clark is willing to step to the ball and step forward to the ball, or he's willing to turn, track back, and cover for a fullback because he's mostly been playing on the, the right side of a 4-4-2, a 4-4... No, that's too many numbers. A 4-4-2, a 4-2-2-2, or a 4-2-3-1, right? He's been on the, the right attacking side of whatever shape that is in the midfield right. spot. And so he's been covering covering back and coming back for Kyle Duncan a little bit at right back. He's he's active. He's willing to move around. And as a young guy, I think you need to be doing that in your first your first few starts, yeah. but also, you know, as you establish yourself within a professional team. Absolutely. And you need to be doing that because you're young and you've got all the energy that yeah, exactly. you can give. <laughs> exactly. He's not he's not the fastest guy. That's that's one thing I want to point out. He's not the fastest or most ridiculous athlete I've seen on the soccer field, even for even for a guy at the youth level. I got to see mm-hmm. him in person a couple of times for the Barcelona Residency Academy over over here in Arizona. And he's he's a, a good athlete, don't get me wrong. He's strong. Right. He's able to win win duels, win balls. But he's not gonna gonna blow by you in open space. He's not gonna do any of those things. I think his game is much more about finding space, exploiting that space, and then working within that area once he is on the ball or once he's able to pull defenders away for someone else. And that you've seen a little bit of his progress, Joe. You're just kind of hinting at that. 
I I feel like that's what's next. And I'm never quick to judge a young player because the hardest thing about being a professional athlete is being consistent. Sure. That's the hardest thing. And when you're a new player coming into the league at this time, and I'm not taking anything away from Clark, but the schedule has been brutal. Nobody knows how to prep for you because you they don't have any film on you. Well, now they do. But before you, you're kind of coming into a situation as an unknown. And so people don't know how to defend you in the ways that they're going to know how to defend you now. So can he continue to perform with eyes on him and be consistent? I think that's what is going to be asked of him next. So I'm not quick to like jump to Caden uh, Clark for captain of the U.S. men's national team in 2022. So <laughs> yeah, let's let's not go that far on this show. <laughs> no, I know, but um, but I do think there's some promise there, especially what I mentioned first, and that's the thing that sticks out to me is his spatial awareness. 100%. No, I think that's the perfect observation to lead with, and I think that summarizes his game very well. We've gotten three appearances for him for the Red Bull. Right. So, yeah, let's take all of this analysis, all the hype with with multiple grains of salt, maybe even an entire salt shaker if we're feeling <laughs> that that is necessary. But, yeah, he's a promising youngster. He's got yeah. that clause that Matt Doyle reported on Extra Time. Last week, he's got that clause in his contract reportedly that will send him to RB Leipzig, not Salzburg. So he's skipping the Jesse Marsh rung of the Red Bull ladder but getting straight to RB Leipzig in 2022. So that'll be something to watch, something to watch as he develops for the Red Bulls. I'm excited. It's fun to have yeah, young Americans really popping is. up more and more. I mean, in that game against Orlando City, it was Caden Clark on one side and it was Daryl DK on the other side. Two really young, promising American attacking players. I mean, you also had Chris Mueller for Orlando City as well. I mean, it's mm-hmm. fun to have some some energetic, talented, young attacking players that could be making waves in the U.S. men's national team player pool in the future. Yeah. And I don't know if you're going to talk about Orlando on this episode, but I just have to say, like, they're unbeaten in what now? 11 or 12? Yeah. They are on a run of form. And I think they are, I don't know how, but I just don't feel like they're being talked enough about enough. And I just needed to throw that in there. And I appreciate that. I think we were so, including us, everyone was so shocked by how good they were during the Mm -hmm. MLS's back tournament. And they made that run to the final and they were playing some of the best soccer that Major League Soccer has seen in a while. And that was so much fun. And now I think we've gotten used to it. And so the buzz has died down a little bit. But thank you for bringing that in because Orlando City is still a very good soccer team. Mm -hmm. They're contenders at the top of the Eastern Conference, as I'm sure you're well aware of, Jordan. (laughs) They're fun. They're fun. They're dealing with injuries and they're still getting results like they did. They almost had that win against the Red Bulls, but still getting a point out of that game. It's impressive what Oscar Pereja is doing. It really is. It really is. I've got one more young American to ask you about specifically, Jordan, and that's Aiden Morris, 18-year-old central midfielder for the Columbus Crew. Aiden Morris started on Sunday in the Crew's 3-1 win over NYCFC. He started one other game this season and had a couple of appearances off the bench for Caleb Porter. What have you seen from Aiden Morris? Because I I watched that game for the Crew on Sunday, but I didn't Mm -hmm. watch it for him. So I'm curious about your perception of his game, what he does, and just what you know about him. Because that's another youngster starting games in Major League Soccer. That's American. Who had a different path to this team than... Caden Clark did. And for Aiden Morris, he went to call, he was a crew academy player, went to college at Indiana for a year at a really good freshman season and then signed his pro contract with the Columbus crew. And that's, that's been happening uh, with a few of the crew players. Uh, it happened with Bubakeda as well, uh, getting that college experience before they signed pro. And so one of the things I noticed about Aiden is 
it was a little bit of a difficult, I would say, transition for him where he kind of goes from school where he's getting all this recognition into the pro game where it's a battle every single day and you're amongst the best of the best. And the thing that I think has really benefited him is that he hadn't gotten playing time for a long time. And that's a weird thing to say. But when you're sitting behind players like Darlington Nagby and Artur and even Lucas, because even though he doesn't play the 10, like Lucas plays that, that 10 spot, he's still learning about how Lucas moves and how that that number 10 moves in the system that Porter wants to play. And I feel like that really allowed Aiden Morris to understand what was needed from him in that position and how he could come in and make a difference. And the thing I, I really have enjoyed about watching him play, whether he has come in as a, as a substitute or you mentioned the, the couple of starts, within this, this last spell of games for the Columbus crew. And it hasn't been the easiest of times with um, they missed some trainings because a couple of staff members got tested positive with COVID. And so it's been a a little bit of a whirlwind. And when, when that happens and the emotions uh, get a little bit higher, sometimes you see these young players not be able to perform, but he's been the most consistent player. It's impressive, right? Yeah. I've been so, I have been very impressed about that that fact because he's come in and he's brought a certain energy and a certain grit that I think that the, the crew at the, that time when things weren't going well or on the score sheet, they weren't going well that the crew needed. And what I like about him is he can get into tackles. He times his tackles pretty well. Well, I think I've seen him. There's a number of challenges where he's coming in from the side and and tackles at the right side where where a player is dribbling at speed. It's a hard tackle to make because it can go wrong in an instant. So he's a good tackler. He um, is willing to scrap for the duels in this first and second balls. And when he does that, it energizes the team and then they can start to create their possession. So that's another good thing he does. But then he's been one of the best passers. He, He came into the game against FC Cincinnati and he completed... Actually, in the last two games, he completed all but two of his passes. That's a pretty good number for a youngster coming into the mix with, especially a New York City team when they bring in Maxi Morales at the end of the game. So I think that there are some real positives for him. And same question that I asked about Caden Clark is, is the consistency over time. But I see a lot of good qualities with him. Well, there you go, listeners. There's a little scouting report and background on Aiden Morris. I learned yeah. some things. Hopefully you guys learned some things. Thank you, Jordan. You're welcome. Happy to help. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
on to our first game analysis of the episode. We touched on some players. Now we're getting into the Chicago Fire's 2-2 draw with Sporting Kansas City. I guess I could have said that either way. Sporting Kansas City's 2-2 draw with the Chicago Fire. Well, Chicago hosted, so I think you said it right. Okay, perfect. I just didn't want any Sporting Kansas City fans to get mad at me because I, <laughs> I don't want to give them you know, right? secondary treatment here or anything like yeah. that. You don't want Peter Ruiz to go off on a, a press conference talking about Joe. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've interviewed Peter Ruiz a couple times just after games here for preseason in Arizona. Uh-huh. And man, he, he was super nice, super, super yeah. kind, good answers. But he scares me a little bit, to, in all honesty. <laughs> he scares me. Um, so yeah, no, Sporting Kansas City, I love you guys. Uh, top-notch guy, top-notch coach. No, I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about this game, Chicago and Sporting Kansas City, this 2-2 drop, because of triangles because of the mm. midfield triangles for each of those two teams. And I hope okay. that our listeners didn't just turn off the show right there. I hope that they weren't, they weren't like, Oh my gosh, this guy's an idiot talking about triangles in soccer, but it's tactical. It's, it's super into the weeds, but you talked about it actually a little bit, a couple of weeks ago with the Columbus Crews matchup with FC Dallas triangles with how midfields align can have a huge impact on the game. And I noticed mm-hmm. that in this one, and I wanted to have a chance to talk through it a little bit with you, Jordan. Okay, cool. And I feel like it is important to talk about triangles because that's a little ode to soccer 101 podcast Ooh, there as well, you go. isn't it? It's perfect. Yeah. So the, the, the way that I want to talk about triangles is with how the Chicago Fire's midfield set up against Sporting Kansas City's defensive shape. So okay. I've talked about the Fire before on this show. I like how they play. They're, they're usually playing under Rafael Vicky out of a 4-2-3-1. They settled on that shape in the last few months. That's what they've been going for. So it's a 4-2-3-1 with a double pivot and an attacking midfielder underneath a striker. So that's the two and the middle of the, the bank of three in midfield. So that's usually Mauricio Pineda, Alvaro Madron, and Fabian Herber. So those are the mm-hmm. three, the two sixes and then the ten. Sporting Kansas City on the other side, on the defensive side, usually play out of a base 4-3-3. So they have four defenders in the back, three central midfielders, and three attacking uh, three attacking players across that front line. So in this game, it was Ilié as the six. And then it was Cameron Duke on one side on the left side of central midfield and Gaddy Kinda on the other side. So they've got that trio of midfielders. Mm-hmm. The Chicago Fire came into this game knowing how Sporting Kansas City were going to line up, knowing that their 2-1 midfield alignment, their two sixes and 10, were going to essentially be matched up man for man by right. Sporting Kansas City's 1-2 midfield alignment. I don't know if you guys can picture this in your heads, but even just using your fingers can help a lot. You've got 2v1 in both. You got, I'm sorry, you've got 1v1 and 2v2. In midfield, Ilya versus the 10 and the Sporting Kansas City's two eights versus Chicago's two sixes, right? There's right. no advantage there if you're the Chicago Fire. There's no advantage. It's all static. It's all even. What the Which Fire creates did, a really boring game. It does. It, it creates, can. It creates it can. stagnancy oftentimes unless there's mm-hmm. a lot of movement yes. from midfielders pulling players out of position and, and dropping runners into space. But it often can create a very stagnant, slow game of soccer. I think, I think Rafael Vicky knew this. And when he was looking at this game... He told his players to shift from a 4-2-3-1, shift from those two sixes and a 10 into a 4-3-3 and drop, keep, keep Mauricio Pineda back as the six, but push Madron forward and keep Herbers forward. And so then they had a six and two eights, essentially. Mm-hmm. So instead of a, a 2-1 midfield alignment against Kansas City's that would have given them nothing, they changed it to a 1-2. And that gave them an overload in a very specific area. That gave them an overload against Ilié at the base of Kansas City's midfield. So instead of just being Herbers versus Ilié, it became Herbers and Madron versus Ilié. 
Rafael Vicky created a 2v1. (laughs) Right, yeah, it's a bad situation. Ilya can't run super well. He's great on the ball, but he doesn't cover ground very well. Create a 2v1 on him in possession. And then you're going to create attacking chances for two of your best players, two of your best creative players in Madron and Herbers to get on the ball and turn in dangerous space. It was fascinating to me how the fire did it. And then, and then Jordan, I hate to go one layer deeper, but there's even more on this because Kansas City counteracted it. Ooh, yes. The plot thickens, right? So I'm going to go through this quickly, I promise, um, because I feel like I've been talking for a long time. But Sporting Kansas City fought it with a little defensive movement of their own. They pushed Cameron Duke or or Gaddy Kinda, depending on the moment, higher and defended in a 4-4-2. So they they saw Chicago tweaking things. And they said, whoa, okay, guys, that's not that's not cool. That's not what we decided on. And they changed their <laughs> own defensive shape to cancel out the fire's advantage. So they, they kept two of their own midfielders back. So they put Kinda next to Ilya. And okay. then they just said, okay, we're going to mark your two with our two. And they pushed Cameron Duke higher up the field. He and Eric Hurtado shadowed Mauricio Pineda as the number six for, for Chicago. And they took away that advantage. I mean, I don't know. I'm jazzed up talking about this. Like this, these adjustments, these tactical tinkerings that the managers put out in this game was so interesting to me. And they kept shifting and they kept changing. And yes, Sporting Kansas City sometimes defend in the shape anyway. It might not have been totally dictated by how Chicago attacked. But man, these two teams were inverting their triangles and changing things in midfield left and right to try to fight each other and take away chances for the other team. And I loved it. Yeah, it's really fun. And that's how the game should be is there's going to be decisions and you're going to set up and say, hey, this is how we think they're going to a team's going to play. And you're going to prep all week or in this case, probably a day for these these next games that you have because the games are coming so quickly. And as you prep, you know what your responsibilities are going into the game. But when you see something different, you have to be adaptable. And I like that both teams, one came into the, the match adapt and adapted. And then the other one said, okay, well, this is, this isn't the pictures that we thought we were going to see. So let's figure out a way to create the advantage back in our, our direction. And it was a constant back and forth battle in this game because the first goal sporting Kansas City get on the board first it went back and forth so Kansas City Chicago Kansas City Chicago and ended two to two but the first goal for sporting Kansas City it comes in the 35th minute and Chicago are in possession they have the ball and they're in a little variant of their four through three shape because Herbers has dropped over to the right side but the focus here is that Pineda is playing as the lone six and for for listeners or for Chicago Fire fans or people who watch MLS on a regular basis Pineda has been playing center back for the fire this season, but he has played midfield in the past. So this is Mm -hmm. a spot that he's used to playing as a six, but also not something that he's played game in and game out. And you can Mm -hmm. tell a little bit in this clip. So Chicago right center back wide, Amsberg plays the ball forward to Pineda, who's playing as that six. Pineda doesn't check his shoulder. He doesn't do what Caden Clark does so well. And (laughs) Gadi Kinda comes from the weak side and picks his pocket. Kinda's such a good presser. He comes forward, picks Picks Pineda's pocket. That's a good little tongue twister right there. He picks yeah. Pineda's pocket <laughs> and then gets the ball forward to Eric Hurtado, who gets around Almsberg and gets Sporting Kansas City up one to nothing. Kansas City took advantage of Pineda as that lone six. Madron's not there to help him. Madron's not there to help receive the ball and get out of pressure. And they take advantage of Pineda's lack of spatial awareness and score a goal based off of this midfield triangle battle in the center of the field. Yeah. I feel like Gaddy Kinda, even when you you talk about his ability to press in this situation, he's sneaky in the way he presses too, right? You know he's coming, but sometimes he just like waits till you look away and then he gets in the right position, which I feel like are the hardest midfielders to play against. And one of the reasons why he's so good, I felt like he really 
is starting to come. Not that he ever went away, but he's starting to come back to life again. He's we talked about him so much at the beginning of the year. Uh huh. And and I think Kansas City now is becoming this consistent force in the Western Conference. And I'm realizing again just how good of an addition he is. Mm -hmm. Right. He brings Mm -hmm. so much energy on both sides of the ball. He has quality on the ball. He's willing to move, press defensively or move and make runs offensively. He's such a difficult – I would hate to play against Scotty Kinda. Oh, he's that yeah. kind of player, but he's so fun to watch. And he makes this goal happen by seeing that Pineda doesn't check his shoulder, by pouncing on the ball and playing it forward quickly. That's Scotty Kinda in one play, and it happens right. on this goal. Can we also just talk about Eric Hurtado and his ability to score goals no matter how difficult <laughs> they are? I mean, is this just your way of wanting to talk about that goal from last week? No, well, it's both goals. This goal is difficult too. <laughs> it is. It is. This goal in the way that the player was tracking back and pressuring him, and he plays it with the inside of his foot, but to the far post, and the the goalkeeper's coming out. There's so many things that it might look simple, but the pressure around him is pretty difficult. Um, he just has a knack for figuring out a way and and sacrificing his body too. I feel like there was a little bit of sacrifice in this knowing that, okay, I might get really nailed here by one of these two players, but I'm going to go for it anyways. Um, Yeah. I've been impressed with him and his ability to get on the board. Because sporting Kansas city miss Alan Polito, but when your, your backup number nine is scoring goals like, like these that he has been scoring like this week and like last week, mm-hmm. you can live with Alan Polito being off gallivanting around the world with Tata Martino and the rest of the Mexican national team. Like you can live with that. That's, yeah. that's okay. Absolutely. Eric Hurtado is his longevity in the league, I think has surprised a lot of people, but he figures out a way to score goals. And at the end of the day, you got to do that if you're going to be nine in this league. We've got a lot more to get through on this week's show, so I want to I run through the rest of these goals fairly quickly. Chicago grab one back in first half stoppage time. There's a lot that happens, including some video review on this one, but the long and short of it is that Barrett scores. That's, that's the long story. <laughs> Sporting Kansas City get another one Good in one. the second half. They go up 2-1 to one with another corner kick. It's a really nice set piece that I'd love to talk about more, but I don't, I don't think we have enough time. I'm sorry, everybody. Yeah, if a center back scored, we, you know we, were talk- we would talk about it. But. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a center back, so we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> But then Chicago grabbed the, the equalizer in second half stoppage time. There's an unreasonable gap between Jalen Lindsay and between Roberto Puncic in Sporting Kansas City's back line. Georgi Mihaljevic says, thank you very much, gets on the ball, actually shows really great composure and finishes mm-hmm. in the box in a really difficult moment at the end of this game. He scores. And I don't, I don't want to short Georgi. I don't want to short the rest of these goals. But I will if it means I can talk about Alvaro Madron for a minute or two. And that's okay. exactly what I'm hoping you'll <laughs> let me do, Jordan. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so I spent some time driving this week. I had, I had some things to take care of, and I was listening to our our colleagues of sorts at the Athletic, Paul Tenorio and Sam Stagecoll, talking about all sorts of different uh, mailbag topics that they had listeners send. It was a great show. Right. I really enjoyed listening. to I Paul started and Sam. it, and I haven't finished it, but I got into that um, into that a little bit. Good questions by the listeners. Good questions. Paul and Sam answer it with great skill, yeah. great great level of detail. I took issue, though, guys, with one small yeah. one small element of your discussion, and that's why I wanted to talk about Alvaro Madron a little bit. You guys, Paul and Sam, so Paul Tenorio and Sam Stagecoll talked this about This is directed how, at you, guys. Yeah, yeah, honestly, this is just for Paul and Sam. You guys talked about how <laughs> Chicago had brought in some questionable signings, and I'm not necessarily going to argue with that, although I do take issue with that general point. But you talked specifically about how Alvaro Madron has been sort of just meh for the Chicago Fire this season, and I would like to raise a counter-argument on the show and say that he has not only been one of my favorite players to watch, but he has been downright one of the best central midfielders in Major League Soccer this Ooh. entire season. Oh, wow. All right, bring it. 
so he's 26. And, and what Paul and Sam were saying mostly is that he was a questionable addition to the team and hasn't performed at you know a super incredible level. But I would say he's 26. He's not a designated player. Mm-hmm. He's not even taking up one of those precious DP spots. He's a TAM signing, and he's a, a middle-aged kind of in-his-prime guy. I looked at the oh stats gosh. a little bit. I'm sorry. 26 is middle age. It is. Uh, for I a mean, soccer player. For I a suppose. soccer player. I know. I know. I just, I just had tough, a, like, no, a, sw- a sweat drip down my forehead. <laughs> <laughs> Alvaro Madron leads all central midfielders in MLS in goals added, which is a stat developed by American Soccer Analysis. We've talked about it on the show before. But that stat measures individual actions on a soccer field to tell you how good or to try to tell you how good players are. Mm-hmm. He leads all central midfielders in MLS in goals added. And when I watch Alvaro Madron, in this game he was an eight, but when he gets deeper on the ball and has chances to distribute, man, he uses so much skill when he has the ball. He faints, he moves, he nutmegs, he he pulls the ball back and, and plays out of pressure quickly. I mean, he has functional skills, and he has skills that will make your eyes drop. And that's not a thing, but maybe your jaw drop and your eyes water, something like that. Madron has so much quality, he looks like he came straight out of La Liga. And I I truly enjoy watching him play soccer, and I think he's made the Chicago Fire team so much better. So that's all. Paul and Sam, no no ill will here at all, I promise. I just wanted to point that out of how good of a player I truly think he is in Major League mm-hmm. Soccer. I'll add one more thing because with the Columbus crew, we faced them two times now, the Chicago Fire. And there's some players that can play the game brilliantly and make everything work. And there's some players that you can sense that they feel the game and it just is a different look. And I think he is one of those players that feels the game. And as he's become more comfortable in his role, what he's expected from him, from Rafael Vicky, I think that he's been able to feel the game more. And so he, you mentioned it. He'll pop up in a lot of different spots. There's not really like, oh, expect him to get the ball here. I think there's a fluidity about the way he plays that is really interesting. And if Chicago figures out a way to string some results together, he's going to have to and probably will have a big, uh, be a big reason why that happens. He's phenomenal. He does a lot of things that players can't do in Major League Soccer, and yeah. I appreciate him. So that's why okay, case I wanted closed. to use that that discussion. But yeah, we'll, we'll close the case. Jordan's <laughs> literally like closing her hands like a book. I think that's my <laughs> signal to move us on. One more player from the Sporting Kansas City Chicago Fire drop. Cameron Duke, I mentioned his name once about Kansas City's defensive structure. He's another young, talented American player. He's playing on the left side of central midfield in this game. All I really wanted to say about him is that he takes quick, purposeful touches. He moves the ball forward quickly and does things that I, I think are, are pretty impressive, especially for a young guy in central midfield. So mm-hmm. another player to watch for when you're looking at Kansas City. Yeah, take a look at Busio and also take a look at Cameron Duke when he's in the lineup for Peter Vermees because he's fun. Yeah. Are there, is there another, does LAFC have the Duke or Dukes? They have Bryce Duke. Duke. Two Dukes. Two Dukes. I love that. And Duke a DK. Duke is a great last name. Uh, yeah. Just so many. And uh, Sorry, I'm just I'm moving on. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit DirecTV.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Yeah, we're we're doing great today. We're not struggling at all with anything. No. We're doing just fine and dandy. On to our next game that we want to sink our teeth into, and this is the Montreal Impact's 2-1 win over Inter-Miami. I have lots to say on this. I know you do too, Jordan. Mm-hmm. Where do you want to start here? Let's talk about formations. Okay. Because I think both teams had a very... Well, it, it said that Miami started in a 4-3-3, and, and it did look like they started with a 4-back for sure. But it quickly shifted into what I would say was a 3-6-1 or a 5-3-1-1. I don't know what, what you want to call it, but it looked like a 3 to a 5-back for m- the majority of the game. It was funky, right? Yeah. It was a little strange. It shifted. I had to go back and rewatch large sections of this game to try to figure out what on earth was going on. Mm-hmm. And I think it worked because of this. So they started in that 4 through 3 but then they saw how Montreal came out, which was different than we've seen Montreal play, especially in the most recent games. They played in a 4-2-2-2. And in a couple of games prior, Bo- Boyan was playing up top and now he's in the midfield and there was a real um Montreal I think has thrown the most formations at us this season oh, yeah. would you agree oh yeah wow Thierry Henry is just like a shapeshifter up there I mean I asked I asked Stu Holden what are the Montreal impact and he also shared our general level of confusion about yeah. what is happening there so I felt a little bit better about myself right. after that but I thought that this change by Miami was really smart because when you're playing a 4-2-2-2, which can be a really fun box midfield uh, fluidity in the way that you're playing because you're just trying to see where the space is. And as one of the the two players in the, that top of the midfield box, you can be the outlet wide or you can say centrally and the wingers or the two front runners can go wide. There's so much fluidity there. But they had an overload centrally with all of those players. And Miami could not keep the ball. Montreal was all over Miami in the first 10, 15, 20 minutes, maybe. And so the shift of going to a 5-3-1-1 or a 3-6-1, I think really helped Miami get more numbers centrally. Uh, take one of their back players who didn't have very much pressure because the two front runners for Montreal and Kyoto and Oruti were playing really wide. So instead of having the two outside backs play that player and the two center backs just not have anybody to mark, they went to three center backs. Now the two outside center backs can mark those two outside players or those two front runners for Montreal. And then you just kind of a little bit better mark up centrally with the the outnumbered midfield that was in favor of Montreal. So I think it was a good shift in a lot of different ways. Um but I, I liked the way that Montreal came out in this new formation. Yeah, I had written down essentially good game plan from yeah. Thierry Henry. Because I think the idea behind what he's doing, I actually interpreted how Montreal lined up a little bit differently than you did. But it doesn't matter, right? I, I think it's fluid. Soccer so fluid. And, and it doesn't make a huge difference exactly how they were lined up. But the the reasoning of what they were trying to do and the motivation for what they were doing, it's exactly what you said. They were trying to congest a midfield. Mm-hmm. enforce Miami wide, right? You try yeah. to make life as difficult for Gonzalo Higuain as possible. That's essentially what they're doing, right? They're saying, we're going to congest the midfield and drop 
and make it difficult for Iguain to drop. We're going to funnel the ball wide and make it difficult for you guys to play into his feet in a normal way. I mean, that's that's what Henri was trying to do to make it difficult for Gonzalo Iguain. And I think they shifted the way that they... If, if Miami was building out of the back, Montreal was funneling centrally. Say, here's all our numbers. We're going to let you play the ball into our numbers, I thought. And then it was almost as if... if, if Miami got into the midfield and then tried to play to Iguain. Then they switched the funnel and said, hey, you guys got to go outside. So it's kind of like this uh, double, because usually either a team keeps it centrally to where all their numbers are, or they force it wide using the sideline as like an additional defender and trying to press the ball wide. So I thought that was interesting how it was. It kind of was actually like shaped like an hourglass, like funnel inside and then like funnel outside. Which is kind of genius. Right. That's a cool thing. I've never thought about that. Like defending like an hourglass where you're allowing people to play into your danger area. Right. You're allowing people to play into the heart of your defensive structure because you believe that your guys can go and win the ball and pressure the ball in those areas if the ball gets there. And then once the ball does get there, if you haven't already won it, then you say, "Okay, that's enough of that. We're going to (laughs) shift you wide, make you play out to the wings, have your wingbacks who was it was Breck Shea and Nealis in this game who are not game breakers they're not game changers we're gonna say okay now those guys have to create and they spoiler alert they did not create very well in this game they're not able to to bring a lot from wide areas and that was genius it was really smart for Montreal to to structure their defensive shape like that to structure their defensive ideas and motivation to make life difficult on Iguain and the rest of Inter Miami mm-hmm. well I just have to say Breck Shea is not going to appreciate that because he did score a goal he did, and it was okay. The goal was not great, <laughs> but the pass from LGP actually was. Unreal. Oh my gosh! Here's that center back combo that we didn't have earlier. I mean, LGP drives forward along that right side, and he plays a ridiculous ball that flies through the air. It sails and it, it moves over to Breck Shea, who's just outside the left part of the top of the box, and Shea gets the ball. It's deflected twice and bounces into the goal. But the pass, man, the pass is unreal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to go back and watch that pass. The one thing that, so did you feel like Montreal lined up in a 4-4-2 diamond? I kind of felt like they lined up in a 4-3-3, but a 4-4-2 diamond works actually because it was because a funky Bojan. 4-3-3. Bojan is a little bit of a wild card here and he wild has been card. the entire season. The way I, I like saw this it, role from him. The way I saw how Montreal Impact lined up was with a back four, which I think mm-hmm. we both agree on. It was a back mm-hmm. four, not a back five. A back yes. four with Victor Wanyama at the six, Sedic as the eight, and then like Piet him. as well as an eight, but he was weirdly high on the field. And this is where the four two 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 comes into play because he was a little bit higher, not along or not aligned with Wanyama and Sedic. But I saw a four three three with Boyan playing almost as a flex number nine, where sometimes he's he's high, but sometimes he's dropping. But either way, he was central and often he was marking Will Trap, which made yes. it difficult for Miami to play through their number six. So that's how I saw it. But again, I don't I don't think it really matters. I think it's interesting right. we had different interpretations, but the idea no, I saw is that the same. Too. I saw that too. Fluid, right? I just was looking more um so I saw that as their yeah, it was fluid. Those four in the middle were fluid. And I think that's when you're playing a box, it is a little bit more fluid because there was times where it looked like they had a double pivot of Winyama and Sedich, and then there was times where it looked like a diamond and Sedich and Piat Piat looked like they were two eights and Boyan was the ten, so they were really in a diamond shape. So I think it was smart from Thierry Henry, uh, another little wrinkle in his tactical formation. But what what can I mention one more thing that I like about Miami? Because I think you're going to talk a little bit about Miami, too, in yeah, a second. And maybe not such a positive way. So go right. ahead and get all that energy out now. Lewis Morgan is good. OK, I do agree with that. 
And I didn't think that at the beginning of the year. I I thought he was good. But I feel like he has found this spot. And because when Miami shifted into whatever we want to call it, I'm going to call it for the sake of argument, a 3-5-1-1. And Morgan was that player right underneath uh, Iguain, who's the top one. Morgan's underneath him and that other one. So Morgan would pop up on the left side. He would pop up on the right side. He really was shadowing underneath and like, um, this little semicircle around Iguain to connect with him if he could. I don't think that connection is quite there yet with Iguain, but he also would be the outlet. So if the ball needed to go into the corner to try to maybe relieve pressure or that's where the space was that Miami felt like they could attack, it keeps your best goal scorer in the middle of the field and he's not chasing those balls down. It's Morgan who's now ch- running into the corner to be that crosser of the ball who hopefully can find Nguyen. I think Miami's best shape is a 3-4-2-1 with Morgan as one of the two underneath Nguyen because he has a lot of those attributes that you just said. I also really like him as an attacking player for Miami. He's versatile. He's willing to run off the ball. He's got some skill when he's on the ball. I like him in one of those spots, and I think it's probably going to be him and Rodolfo Pizarro playing underneath Iguain for the last little stretch of the season when Pizarro is available for selection. I mean, mm-hmm. I think he's a player who complements Iguain well, does things that Iguain not can't do, but that he really shouldn't have to do. So, like yeah, the I love your ode to Lewis Morgan. It's perfect. It's a great combination, yeah. and he's a good player for Inter Miami. Yeah. Okay, your turn. I don't want to dwell on too many of these issues that I'm about to bring up for too long. I, I just want to bring them up quickly because we talk about why are teams like the LA Galaxy struggling or why are teams like Inter-Miami struggling when they have so much talent? I mean, you look at Mm -hmm. Inter-Miami's roster, they have a a very, very talented number nine that they just brought in. Pizarro is a good player they brought in. I mean, they have have players. They have talented defenders, especially at the center back spot. They brought in guys, including some midfielders, Will Trapp, Victor Ulloa, Blaise Matuidi. I mean, they have guys who are talented on the surface, but Then we look at them and say, okay, well, why are they still really close to the bottom of the Eastern Conference? Mm -hmm. And number one, huge issue for Inter-Miami right now is their lack of mobility in the midfield. And that's where this first goal comes from, Montreal. I mean, it's it's a Bojan ridiculous shot from well outside the box in an area that he has no business shooting from, let alone scoring. (laughs) But the buildup to this goal is the real issue for Inter-Miami. Uruti gets the ball on the left side of the, the attack and plays it to Bojan, who then just breaks right through. Will Trap and Matuidi. I mean, he he just carves right in between them. Trap can't catch him. Mm-hmm. Matuidi can't catch him. Neither one of them has the legs to cause nearly enough damage or difficulty to Boyan to stop the play. So they can't they can't track runners in central midfield. On the second goal for Montreal, the ball's on the right side of the field. It's on the right side of the attack for the Montreal Impact. Romel Kyoto has the ball. Breck Shea just doesn't pressure him. He just sort of stands at an awkward distance. Uh, he stands at an awkward distance, kind of like a middle school dance, what I imagine is what that would look like. Where it's Brekshay <laughs> on one side, Kyoto on the other side. I mean, there's an awkward distance between them that's not accomplishing yeah. anything for Brekshay. Kyoto finds Boyan making a really good run behind the back line. Mm-hmm. Boyan slides the ball over to Aruti, who scores. I mean, the front three in this game for the Montreal Impact could do whatever they wanted. And you can't yeah. not pressure the ball. You can't have... Your midfielders chasing the game. You can't have awkward gaps between players, between lines, horizontally and vertically. Inter-Miami have all of those things, and that's a lot of why they have not been a very good soccer team this season. 
Yeah. On that specific play, I had written Miami back in numbers, but stagnant. Yeah. You can have 11 people behind the ball. You can grab an extra player and toss them on the field and still have a goalkeeper. So that's, I guess, 12 people behind the ball. You can have however many people you want behind the play. Yeah. But if they're not doing anything, if the back line isn't communicating to to push Boyan offside, and if Brekshay isn't pressuring Kyoto on that right side, I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't right. make any difference. And if you're into Miami, this is why you're dropping points. Yeah. And so I, I want to just talk about that for a, just a quick second, because that specific example is not tactics. It's it's phases of the game. And that for Inter Miami is their phase from attacking to defending that transitional phase, because this all happened that that last goal happened off of Montreal had lost the ball a couple of times in bad places in their defensive third. And finally, just, they just clear it out. And Aruti pressures Figal, like chases him down. Figal has the ball and he's dribbling centrally, dribbling, dribbling, dribbling. And Figal hasn't been very good creating and completing passes when he is on the dribble. When he has the ball at his feet and he can just pass it, he's much better. But when he's dribbling out of the back, he hasn't been very good. So Aruti presses him, press, presses him and creates a turnover. And in that moment, Miami transitions, but you have to transition with the intent to, okay, now we're in a good position. We have to go press and trust that our numbers are back. So they actually did the transition well, but it was, okay, now we're in the defensive phase of the game. How do we go press the ball? And one more thing on Miami before we go to one tactical tidbit each and wrap up the show. Miami do an interesting man-oriented defensive thing where they'll really track movement from the opposing team in this game they tracked Montreal's movement especially their back line would step with one of Montreal's forward players they would step with them into midfield and as I said a little bit or as I alluded to the communication for Inter Miami doesn't appear to be at an elite level right now because that leaves awkward gaps if I step out of the back line and track a runner track the number nine or track one of the wingers that leaves a hole right and unless we're all on the same page of when we need to step and when we need to cover and how we can have that balance it's going to look funky, and it looked funky a little bit for Inter Miami yeah. in this game. And I think mm-hmm. that's another part of of their defensive issues. Yeah, it's it's phases of play. It's not being able to to fulfill some of the basic categories of defending and qualifications of defending. But there's a, a few different structural and individual issues that looks like happening for this team right now. Yeah. Okay, Jordan, tactical tidbits. Let's hit one apiece. Do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? Um... I'll go first. So I watched Portland play LAFC. And I had to think about it for a second because there's a lot of games, right? There are a lot of games. That I can um, so one of the things I saw with Portland, which I thought was really smart, is when LAFC are, when you're trying to get them to defend and create space at the same time, you have to use you have to use the other team's movement to your advantage. So one of the things I saw with Eric Williamson on the right side of Portland's attack is he would do a really good job of allowing Abobasi to engage the outside back and then their outside back for Portland to engage with the winger for LAFC. So as soon as the outside back for Portland started running up the field, Williamson then left his center midfield spot and shifted into maybe like 
not quite looking like an outside back, but that space at the outside back then left. So what happened then, what happens then is there's, there's already matchups on the right side of the field. So the midfield has to shift in a way to go pressure Erickson, which left a lot of gaps for Portland to build through. And I thought it was a really smart little tactical move and awareness by Williamson to say, okay, once these players are engaged with their defender, then I can go. Because even if that winger that is with the outside back for Portland steps to Erickson, well, then that, that outside back is open and he could play there. So I thought it was really, it's a small thing, but it was smart by him. I'm just wondering, could we get into Milan to agree to send Christian Eriksen over to the Portland Timbers? That way we could have yes. him and Eric Williamson combining. Um, not to make fun, Jordan, of your slip of the tongue there, but having a guy like Eric Williamson in in your midfield, man, the Timbers are so good. And that's I feel like that's lazy analysis, but they do a lot of things so well. And Eric Williamson's been a massive part of that this season from mm-hmm. from the start of the year, from from MLS's back, really, which is not the start of the year, but it kind of is in a lot of ways. Yeah, He's been a consistent presence moving and rotating into different spaces for Gio Savarese. The Portland Timbers have that feel of a team that's going to make a deep run in the playoffs, and I, I just can't shake that feeling. And a lot of it does have to do with Eric Williamson. Yeah. All right, you're a tactical tidbit. Okay, my tactical tidbit came from Toronto FC's one nothing win over Atlanta United. The tidbit is this, and I, I wrote this down because I wanted to, to get it right. I like a lot of things about TFC, and they're a very good team, but their central spine makes me nervous. It really does make me nervous. I think I've said this months ago on this show, but man, when you have guys, Michael Bradley comes off the bench in this game after an injury to Jonathan Osorio. Michael Bradley makes me nervous in central midfield without the ball. Liam Frazier makes me nervous in central midfield without the ball. Laurent Simon, Omar Gonzalez, they both make me really nervous in the back, especially when Chris Mavinga is not there to put out fires. Then moving even a little bit higher up the field, Alejandro Pozuelo, Pablo Piatti, these are not hyper-mobile guys. And so, man, if you're Toronto FC and you lose the ball, or if I'm Greg Vanny and I see my team lose the ball, if I'm Greg Vanny and I see my team lose the ball, I might be biting my fingernails just a little bit. I think Toronto do so many things so well but this is their weakness. Their weakness is when the ball turns over, if they can't immediately win it back using counterpressing, which is what they want to do, if they can't win the ball, man, they're at risk of conceding a goal. I mean, Saman against Atlanta United was was taken. I can't remember who the Atlanta United player was on that side, but he was he was gone, 1v1, yeah. and he lost the ball on the, the left side of Toronto's defense. I remember vividly Romel Kyoto just gunning past Omar Gonzalez in MLS's back tournament between in, in matchups between Montreal and Toronto. I mean, there are real issues here with how the roster is made up just in terms of a general lack of mobility in central spaces. And that makes me a little nervous. It mm-hmm. makes me a little nervous. Yeah. I think it should be noted too, because you mentioned a couple of players there and we have throughout this show is because of the schedule of MLS right now, there are so many changes in the rosters and who's healthy, who's not, who's available, who's starting games. And so we're now we're analyzing these teams with what we saw. Right. And you mentioned Simon. Well, I don't think he's the starting center back for TFC. And that's probably a really good case. Why? Yeah. I mean, and and who knows, right? Who knows what's going to happen in the playoffs? Anything, anything can happen at that point. He might need to step in and and partner Omar Gonzalez, which is a a scary thing for Toronto <laughs> FC. So yeah. not to not to end the show on kind of a downer note there, but for as good as Toronto are, they have a weakness, just like every team in MLS does. Mm-hmm. And if you're a team facing them in the Eastern Conference playoffs, I would try to exploit that weakness. Yeah. Okay, I'll add one more thing, one more tactical tidbit so we don't end on that. And it's kind love of a it. little bit I love of that, a, Jordan. I didn't watch a lot of this game, but I did watch Sounders play 
San Jose. And not, it was a nil-nil result, so not a lot happening. Uh, again, kind of going back to there were some changes in the starting 11s. But the thing that I saw is the Sounders conceded a lot of possession, which is something that we've seen of them in the past. They're, they give away possession so they can get on the break and um, get a team a little bit more stretched out so they can use their speed and ability on the break to really counter teams. But defensively, I thought they did a really smart thing against San Jose. Who's the team that takes the most shots from outside the box? It's got to be San Jose. It has to be San Jose. And the Sounders sat in a low block and they said, go ahead. There were so many times where they would let the center backs, the holding midfielders just drive at them. And the Sounders would get maybe eight or nine players behind the ball and just be like, you can come at us. We're not going to move very much. We're not giving you the space in behind. You're going to have to either go around us or you're going to have to shoot from distance. And I just thought that... It was smart because it maybe saved the legs of the Sounders a little bit, but it also put San Jose in this place where they're a team that's going to shoot for distance. They probably um, enjoyed it a little bit, but it wasn't successful. I think every shot that an Earthquakes player takes from distance, Mateus Almeida's hair grows just a little bit longer. Yeah, is he growing it back out? I think he is. I don't think he ever wants to have to deal with short hair, and so I think he encourages his players to take bombs from distance <laughs> so that he can stay with that, that black, glossy, long hair oh, for as long as possible. We want it back. Yeah, bring it back, Matthias. Do it. We have the power to make that happen. We, we do not have that power. Jordan, we've covered a lot of ground on today's show from mm-hmm. analyzing games and talking about triangles and hourglasses to talking about actual tangible things like Caden Clark and, and Aiden Morris. Listeners, Thank you all for listening. We truly appreciate you. We appreciate you guys supporting us. Jordan, I appreciate you. You talking soccer with me and you you helping me out, especially at the beginning of the show. Thank you for all that you do. And I, I truly yeah. enjoyed talking with you this week. We're all in this together. Um, sending you our love, Daryl. And we'll be back next week, guys. <laughs> <laughs>